Angie Burke is a registered nurse who worked for 26 years at the hospital in her community specializing in palliative care. On September 23, 2013, she suffered a large stroke. Along with paralysis, vision, and cognition changes, she was eventually diagnosed with epilepsy. After some time rehabbing in a trauma center and then a rehab hospital, she returned home and was determined to improve. But gradually, her mood began to spiral and she fell into a major depression and had to be hospitalized for treatment following a suicide attempt. She became more determined than ever, began exercising daily, and eventually became an amateur bodybuilder. She also started volunteering as a stroke mentor at the hospital where she had worked for decades. After being encouraged by many to write a book, she was introduced to Suzanne Cronkite, and together they wrote Just Pick Up the Peg, A Nurse's Journey Back from Stroke. I hope that you enjoy today's podcast with Angie Collins-Burke. I'm Dr. Regina Kep. I'm a clinical geropsychologist, which means that I'm a psychologist who specializes with older adults and families. And this is the Psychology of Aging podcast, your go-to resource for mental health and aging. Angie Burke, thank you so much for joining me on the Psychology of Aging podcast to share your story about being a stroke survivor and building a life that's meaningful for you. And that word is intentional, stroke survivor. And I'm looking forward to talking about that in this interview. So thank you for, for being here with me. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm, I'm honored. I'm truly honored. Ooh, I'm so glad that you're here. I think sharing stories, personal life stories, makes this work the most meaningful. And, and I know you have, um, as in your profession as a nurse, you worked in palliative care, and can you share a little bit about your professional life in palliative care and as a nurse, just to kind of set the stage of what your life was like before you had a stroke, and then we can move into what life is like after. I had a crazy, hectic life, as most people do prior to my stroke. Um, I have two grown children, uh, a husband I've been married for 30 years, and as you alluded to, I worked as a registered nurse, so I had to deal with shift work. Um, but I loved palliative care. I thought in my heart that was what I was meant to do and why I was here. Um, I left every day feeling as though I had helped somebody and I had made a difference. And then how how long into your career? You said about 30 years before you had a 20 years. 26 years. I was, I had been a nurse for 26 years. You have a great book called Just Pick Up the Peg, where you talk about your journey and your experience with having a stroke and your um, journey back from stroke is the subtitle, A Nurse's Journey Back from Stroke. And I highly recommend your book. It's a wonderful read and very human and and enjoyable. I just uh, thank you for that. But can you talk about what it was like to have the stroke? You kind of document that in the book, but I think it's so helpful to hear it from from you directly. Honestly, I thought I had a migraine. I had a history of migraines uh, and it wasn't getting better. Uh, My husband took me to the community hospital actually where I worked uh, and I received treatment for a migraine and I was released home. Uh, We came home and I was 
down in our bedroom. I was going to get ready for bed and my husband heard a crash. He came down the hall. He found me. I was on the floor. Um, I was having a seizure. He noticed that the left side of my body wasn't moving. And I only remember bits and pieces because I was out for most of it. So my husband has kind of filled in the blanks. But apparently I was trying to speak and it was completely garbled. Uh, once I had come out of the seizure, then I completely went unconscious. He put me in the recovery position, but then I was trying to get up and he had to know, hon, you need to lay down. Uh, the last thing I remember was being loaded in the back of the ambulance. And I could see the lights flashing off of our neighbor's home. And I thought this should give the neighborhood something to talk about and then out. And I don't remember much after that. And you were taken back to the same hospital you worked at? I was taken back to the same hospital I worked at, to the emergency department. Wow. How I, I mean, just the cruel irony. <laughs> and, and then how long did you stay in the hospital after you had the stroke? Or when did you even know it was indeed a stroke? Unfortunately, because I didn't present as a typical stroke person, I would say, I, I mean, I was... I wasn't overweight. I didn't smoke. I didn't have high blood pressure. I did not have one, one risk factor for stroke. It took uh, three days to actually diagnose me as having suffered a stroke. Um, and once the diagnosis was made, and it was from a carotid dissection, uh, so a tear had actually formed in one of my carotid arteries, I was immediately transported to a major trauma center in Toronto because our hospital, we don't have the facilities to care for somebody that's had a stroke as serious as mine. Uh, so I was in Sunnybrook. I ended up in the ICU um, and then the step down unit and eventually the medical unit. Um, but once they deemed I was medically stable, I was transferred to a rehab hospital in the city because again, our small community hospital didn't have a stroke specific rehab program. So I was in uh, Toronto for well over a month away from home, terribly homesick, not a lot of support because, of course, my friends couldn't come to see me. My husband was overwhelmed with everything. Uh, then after that, I was transferred back to the hospital where I had worked for some more rehab. And then eventually I did smoke patient rehab. My goodness. Do you do any physical therapy or occupational therapy to this day? No, no. My therapy ended. I'm almost eight years out now. Mm -hmm. um, I still work on my recovery and I have found other avenues for working on my recovery, but I'm done with the officially official therapy portion of my recovery. So eight years out. So that means, was it 2013? If I yes, remember. September. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. And so you described just the sort of logistical experience of having a stroke and, and the, the medical system, a little bit of that. Can you talk about, about the emotional experience? What was it like for you to kind of go through all of that? And I mean, that's a long time in the hospital and in, in different stages of the hospital. Can, and, then, and then home, I just, can, can you share a little bit about the emotional journey? I can remember vividly, even though I was in and out of consciousness, when my family doctor came into our hospital, my hospital room before I'd been um, moved from my community and told me I had a stroke. I mean, I was in complete disbelief because again, I didn't have any risk factors. It didn't make any sense to me. And I mean, I was 
like, no, this can't, this couldn't have happened. This doesn't make any sense. And I started firing questions at my doctor that I knew he couldn't answer. But in that moment, I was just so full of disbelief. And I think one of the hardest parts, as I kind of alluded to, was having to do my recovery and my rehab in a city where I didn't know anybody. Um, People couldn't come to see me because they were two hours away. I was so horribly homesick. Uh, Once I finished therapy, my evenings were, there was nothing. And I spent a lot of time crying and, you know, why, why me? Why did this happen? What am I going to do now? Uh, I just had so many questions. And of course, there were no answers. Right. And how old were you when this happened? I was 46. Wow. I'm 45. That's, and you had two kids. Mm -hmm. How old were your kids? Um, my oldest son at the time, I can't remember their ages, but he was in his first year of college and my youngest child was in high school. I think, I think grade 12, I, again, I can't remember their ages, uh, but, uh, so they were, at least they were, we didn't have young children that we had to look, you know, worry about getting babysitters, et cetera. I mean, still, mm-hmm. you just still you know, want to experience these experiences with your young, you know, your young adults. Mm-hmm. It's important time in their life too, with launching and building their own adult identities and separating from you and building their lives. You know, there's a lot happening at that stage of life mm-hmm. that, you know, a mom, it's helpful to have a mom there or you there. Um, so then you return home and, and then there's, building a life back at home. And I know in the book that you talked a bit about um, your experience with depression and what that was like and some of the unseen challenges of having a stroke. Can you maybe start with what some of the, I know we, we are, Uh, What's pretty apparent on the surface is when people have a stroke, there could be paralysis on one side of the body. There can be speech changes, swallowing changes, but there are some unseen changes that happen. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about what some of the unanticipated or unseen challenges you faced were. Well, as you probably know, negative emotions don't like to hang out alone. I think I experienced every negative emotion known to man. I went through frustration. I went through anger. I went through why me? Um, I went through anxiety. I mean, you name it. I think I despair. Um, And unfortunately, it all built into anger. And my poor husband took the brunt of that in the form of displaced anger and again, frustration because I wasn't able to do what I wanted to do. And I frequently would lash out at him. Um, My older son, who was away at college, I don't think he was fully aware at the time how bad things were, uh, because he was removed from the situation. But my husband and my younger child, who was who were in the home at the time, saw me with all these struggles. Mm -hmm. How long did that last, that period of struggling? <laughs> it it still does to this day, but instead of being in the forefront, it's now in the background. And every now and again, I'll have a bad day and, you know, something may frustrate me. And I guess that's with pretty much everyone. And But it's it doesn't consume me now as it did during my 
early stages of my journey. Yeah. When did it reach its peak? Like what was, I know in your book, you talk a bit about how severe the depression got for you or this, maybe this um, kind of tornado of negative emotions. Mm -hmm. Would you describe a bit? Um, I think there are so many people who, whether or not they've had a stroke might be surprised by mental health symptoms, especially the negative symptoms. Like a where did this come from? And I, I don't recognize this in myself, but sometimes this, this tornado of negative feelings or negative emotions just kind of, um, take over. Would you talk, would you be open to talking about that and the experience with depression? Absolutely. I was before the, the jokester. I was the one always pulling pranks at work and making people laugh, upbeat, um, so for me to go into a depression was completely not expected. Um, I had of course cared for patients and learned about depression, but then to actually live through it, I could have never imagined such a dark, painful place to be in my life. I had been diagnosed by a psychologist in Toronto as being in a major depression but unfortunately, she wasn't able to care for me because she was two hours away. Um, but I was, I made mistakes. I mean, I thought, oh, I can beat it. I'm strong. I, I don't need help. I can do this. But unfortunately, I couldn't. And I continued to spiral. And I, I wasn't aware how badly I was spiraling and, and how severe I was, it was getting. Um, and my husband would try to help me and I would lash out at him. And he didn't know what to do. He was just beside himself. Um, and one night, unfortunately, it all came to a head when I had had enough. I couldn't do this anymore. I was done. My family would be better without me. I was worthless. Um, I was just a burden. And my husband caught me on the kitchen floor with a handful of pills. Um, luckily, he walked into the room and he batted them out of my hand. And I, he ended up taking me to the mental health unit again, back at the hospital where I had worked um, to receive professional treatment. And I can remember him when we were waiting for me to be transferred up to the unit um, crying. And, and I said, why, why are you crying? Like, this is a good thing. I'm finally getting help. And he said, but I couldn't help you. And I said, if, if I had uh, appendicitis, for example, and you had to bring me here to get treatment, would you be crying right now? And he said, well, no, this is the same thing. The only difference is I'm mentally ill. I'm not physically ill. And so I finally started receiving the help I needed in the form of medication and in the form of counseling to start to cope with and work through all of the emotions that I was struggling with. Thank you for sharing that. It's so we don't talk enough about mental health journeys and the struggle and the recovery. I can so relate. I had my own um, pretty serious postpartum depression with suicidal thoughts. And I just, I can so relate. So thank you so much and how essential getting help is with, um, you know, professionals and mm -hmm. that we don't have to do it alone, that there is some excellent help for us. And, and with 
mental health care and support and the support of your family, you um, began to make a life that you loved and you became a bodybuilder. But I I don't want to jump there just yet because you were talking about something so important. You were talking about before the stroke, you were a prankster, you were a jokester, you were kind of, it sounded like the life of the party, joyful. And, And then in your book, you talk about this sort of identity crisis. Can I read a little bit of that to you? Um, absolutely. So you wrote, I was a registered nurse. My opinion was valued, and I often advised other members of the healthcare team. I completed complicated drug calculations, faced crisis after crisis, and had to think quickly on my feet. I oversaw the well-being of others. I was a wife and a mother. I offered advice to our children. I listened to and processed their concerns and offered a variety of solutions. I felt as though I was somebody they could look up to and be proud to call their mother. I completed many of the household tasks, and I saw this as showing love for my family. These were very important roles to me. I'm fast forwarding here. And then you write, then the stroke. Although still a nurse, wife, and mother, I was unable to complete my usual pre-stroke responsibilities. My previous roles were forever changed or gone altogether. I felt lost, useless, weak, frightened, insecure, stupid, lazy, and unreliable. I went from being kind, caring, and happy to angry and miserable. Suddenly, everything I revered was taken away. I'd always taken care of others, and suddenly I couldn't even take care of myself. I was thrown into an identity crisis and wasn't sure how to cope or how to begin to get out of it. And so... How how was that for me to read that? Um, yeah, uh, it still hits a nerve. Um, sorry, even eight years out, losing my nursing career. I mean, losing all of my roles were difficult, but losing my nursing career was probably the hardest the hardest event for me to accept in all of this. I think I knew right from the beginning in my heart that I was done, but. I sincerely hoped someday that I could go back, but I remember after my my neurologist had done an assessment, he said, uh, "Unfortunately, you're done. You can't go back." And I cried all the way home. Of and um, a few times when I was admitted to hospital because of various things that happened to me in my journey, I would lay on the stretcher, and I would see the nurses running around, and I was like. That should be me. I mean, I have 26 years experience. I have all these courses. I have all this knowledge. I could be helping all of these people. And I'm laying here on this stretcher. It's that's not the way it's supposed to be. It's it's when what what do I do? I had thought my entire life that I will my whole life I wanted to be a nurse. And this is why I was here. And this is and when that was taken away, I just I just have never felt so lost in my life. And I, I didn't even know where to start to try and rebuild my life. What, like, I just was so lost. I just didn't know where to start. You were describing so much grief. (laughs) You had lost so many aspects of your identity and then your career was, uh, I mean, you had really worked so hard for that and become the helper and then became the person who needed help. It's so just the cruel irony again. How did you 
work your way back. How did you go from, um, you write in your book, stroke victim to stroke survivor? What was, what was that journey like for you? Initially, it was to try and find a purpose again. But as I said, I didn't know how to do that. But as I've learned on my journey, sometimes things come into your life that you couldn't have imagined and things just evolve. I received a phone call from my, who had been my boss and the hospital where I'd worked had just opened an integrated stroke unit and they wanted to start a program of volunteers called Pierce Fostering Hope in which stroke survivors would go into the hospital and meet with patients on the unit that had experienced a stroke. And she immediately thought of me because of my nursing background. I knew the hospital and I didn't know how that would go. Um, I didn't know if I could walk through those doors, not being a nurse, if it would be too much. And I was terrified I would cross the line um, of being a volunteer, but I ended up going. And that was, I think, what finally started to breathe life back into me again. I was back at the bedside. I was helping people. And even though I wasn't a nurse, I was still able to use some of my assessment skills. Uh, and I was, I felt like I had a purpose again. I, I knew, okay, I have a purpose. I'm helping people because that is my purpose. That's, and that was what initially started to breathe life back into me again. How, how long after your stroke did you have that experience? Uh, it was after I had gone through the depression. Um, so it was probably two and a half, I would say about two and a half years after my stroke, I started doing the volunteering. Wow. That's a long two and a half years. It was a long two and a half, but I needed that time. I needed that time. I didn't see it at the time, but now looking back, my purpose was to start to recover and to work on me. I didn't see it at the time, but I do now. What was it like at the time? Uh, I was bored to tears. I couldn't leave my home. Um, my license had been medically suspended. Uh, I was having seizures. Uh, but one of the things I learned when I was going through the depression was how important it is to get your feelings out and to acknowledge your feelings. And I didn't always have somebody to talk to. So I started sketching. And I would sketch how I was feeling. And a lot of those pictures during that time were pretty dark and depressing. The first picture I think I drew was of Anai crying. And it said there was a puddle forming and it said despair. And the second picture I drew was of a mallet coming down, getting ready to smash a, nursing a nurse's cap. But it was a lot of my time and it passed the time. And it took my mind away from all that negativity, when you're in a bad place, one of the most dangerous things to have is too much time on your hands because you can just get into that whole negative circle. And uh, so the drawing was, was fabulous. It got my emotions out and it passed the time. You know, on the cover of your book, there is an eye with the tear falling. Was that one of the drawings? It was part of it's missing and where the puddle, where it comes down and in and the puddle is the word despair. Um, Cause at that time, that's exactly where I was. Do you know um, Chrissy Thelker, Angie? No, I don't. She is also Canadian, but on the other side of Canada, she's mm -hmm. um, she was diagnosed with vascular dementia several years ago 
and she wrote a book also. She was on the podcast and she, the cover of her book is also an eye with teardrops and talking about sort of the grief after her diagnosis with dementia. I have to connect you after this interview because there are so many parallels in your story and, um, and both of you have just made beautiful purpose filled lives following some pretty, um, you know, traumatic health experiences. So I, um, I have to connect you after this. I think you two would really get along and you're both Canadians. Um, okay. Let's move, let's move from stroke victim to stroke survivor. I want to read something from your book because I think this is a really important, especially for families that are recovering from stroke. I think this journey that you're describing is so important to give family members hope and to give stroke survivors hope. And so, um, you wrote, After my stroke, some people referred to me as a stroke victim and some as a survivor. I didn't give it much thought. What difference does it make? They're just meaningless titles, or are they? In the beginning, I was a victim. I didn't ask for this to happen or wake up one morning and decide, I think I'll have a stroke today. However, I didn't have to remain a victim. When I identified as a victim, I dwelled in how unfair it was, and I felt powerless. Nothing was ever going to change. I focused on everything negative and felt sorry for myself. I withdrew from others, made excuses, and if anyone challenged them, I immediately became angry and defensive. I was setting myself up for failure and did nothing to work toward my recovery. I remained in this mindset for the duration of my depression. Depression is so brutal like that. Once I identified as a survivor, I felt strong and resilient and focused more on positives. Look how far you've come. Instead of making excuses, I developed strategies to work toward improving. Feeling sorry for myself was getting me nowhere. I became determined and would tell myself, you can do this. I made improvements. Can you talk about this experience of moving from stroke victim to stroke survivor? Once I got past the worst of the depression and I realized that I needed to not only work on getting over that hurdle, but I needed to find that determined woman I had been in the rehab facility. Uh, I didn't know if I could ever find her again, but I think my aha moment was one day I realized this is entirely up to me. If I want to get better and I want to improve, I have to do the work. Nobody can do this for me. And the doctors, the nurses, and the therapists can give me every tool in their toolbox. But unless I decide to use them, I'm going to be stuck where I am forever. And I didn't want that life. If I, as, as I mentioned, I wanted to find a new purpose. Well, if I'm going to do that, I've got to work on getting better. And it was after that aha moment that I made it guess my goal every day to do at least one thing to work towards my recovery. And I started fighting back with everything I had. And then you became a bodybuilder. <laughs> what? <laughs> I mean, where did that come from? How did you, how did you become, and y- y'all, I mean, I'm, I'm new to the South. I'm, you know, 11, 12 years into the South, but I'm from California. I did not grow up saying y'all, but now I will because <laughs> 
Y'all, there are pictures in this book of Angie with an incredible bodybuilding body. And this all happened post-stroke. It did. I had never even been inside of a gym prior to my stroke. What? Okay, tell us. How did how did this get inspired? How did you become a bodybuilder after your stroke? As I had said before, many of the things that have happened to me um, post-stroke have just evolved. I didn't go looking for them. I started doing something, had no idea why I was doing it. When I first started, I had a little, I think it was a one or two pound weight. And I was trying, I was just trying to get my left arm stronger once, once it started moving again. So I bought a little cheap weight set uh, and I started lifting. And after a while I had to go up to the five pound weight and this progressed. I thought, I'm spending a fortune on weights. This is ridiculous. And I loved it. I loved it. I loved how it made me feel. I love seeing the changes in my body. I love feeling myself getting stronger. So I saved some money and I said to my husband, I, um, I want to join a gym. I've never been inside a gym. Now I'm, I think I was 48, 49 at the time. I've had a stroke. Yeah, this is a good time to join a gym. So I did. He took me to uh, a few gyms. And uh, when I went into the one, I spoke to the trainer and there was an immediate connection. I liked the energy in the gym. And I said, okay, this is the place. And I started working with the trainer um, and I told him what I, you know, I wanted to get stronger. Uh, I was scrolling through my social media one day and I saw a friend who had competed. I thought, oh, I want to do that. I love her physique. And so I started working towards becoming a bodybuilder. Whoa. And now are you still bodybuilding? I am actually. I love it. I really do. Uh, Now, unfortunately, gyms are closed here and they have been, uh, but we have built a fairly decent gym in our basement. Um, my husband is also now into bodybuilding. Uh, he joined the gym with me. For th- he said, I'll join for 30 days, but I know I'm not going to like it. Yeah, four years later. Uh, so we, it, it's good because we keep each other accountable. So in the evenings now, we'll come down to our little home gym and we'll do a lift. Uh, and uh, I love it. I, I just, I really honestly enjoy it. Wow. Well, speaking of your husband, you also write about the shift in your relationship with having a stroke and um, and all these role transitions from, you know, I'm, I'm, there's a feeling like I'm no longer a wife, I'm a person to be cared for, and he's a carer. Mm-hmm. Um, where is your relationship at now in, in terms of your roles? It, it, you seem very independent. I know you're, you're now living with epilepsy. Is that right? Correct. And, um, and where's your relationship at now? How are the two of you doing? My biggest struggles that I have now are with cognition. Uh, so I struggle, especially at night when I'm tired, neuro fatigue, I really struggle. And sometimes I'll be trying to do something and I can't, or I'll get a letter from the bank or, or whatever. And I'm reading it and it's, I don't, and I have to go to him. Um, so obviously he doesn't have to help me as much. I'm independent with my dressing, et cetera, but I still do have to ask him for help quite often. And, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll say to him still, you know what, you didn't sign up for this. And he, he's such a sweetheart. He's been so good. He's a hun, you remember for better, for worse. Uh, so he doesn't make me feel like I'm a burden. Unfortunately, I do it to myself. And that's still there. Not as much, uh, but still sometimes when I have to go to him for help, I, I'll, 
I'll feel like I sometimes say I feel like I'm a child going to their parent for help, but I have to realize that I have a brain injury um, and not to be so hard on myself because I tend to be hard on myself. <laughs> I'm guilty as of doing that, but, and he, you know, he's so supportive and he's so good, but I do sometimes still feel like I am a burden. Well, I'm so comforted to know that your relationship is withstood all of these transitions and challenges and that you're practicing self-compassion. What would you say, what would you recommend to people who have recently had a stroke, who are, you know, learning about their body and themselves and their relationships after stroke, what, what would you recommend? Uh, first of all, one day at a time, one hour at a time, one minute at a time, whatever it takes. Um, only look back to celebrate how far you've come. Uh, one of the worst things that I did and you can do is to look back. And we all do it, but it the stroke happened and nothing you can do is unfortunately going to change that. Um, so try to concentrate on moving forward. Um, setting goals for me was huge. When I was in the rehab hospital, the team would come around and once a week we would set some goals and then develop a plan. And when I came home and I finally got my fight back, I started doing the same thing. I, I worked there. Why reinvent the wheel? So I would sit down at my kitchen table every week, two weeks, whatever. And I would write down because you got to write them down write down my goals that I wanted to achieve and I would put them somewhere prominent. So I would see them several times a day to keep me laser focused on moving forward rather than looking back. And what would you recommend to family members of people who've just had a stroke or stroke survivors? One pattern that I noticed from my own journey and from also working as a stroke mentor is the focus is seems to be entirely almost always on the person who's experienced the stroke, but it's affected the caregiver, the family as well. So don't be afraid to admit when you need help and when you're overwhelmed and to seek out supports and resources in your community that can help you. Uh, Seeking help, which I have found is not a sign of weakness. It's actually a sign of strength because you're admitting, okay, I'm, I'm not coping or I'm overwhelmed and I need someone to come in here and help me uh, deal with this. And so don't be afraid to seek out support and help um, if you need it. Yeah. It's so important and valuable. Well, Angie Burke, thank you so much for sharing your story and sharing your insights as, as a nurse, as a wife, as a mother, as a stroke survivor, a stroke mentor. Um, where can people buy your book and learn more about you? I have a website and it's all one word, small letters, angiecollinsburke.com. And on there, there are links to uh, the blog that my co-author and I, Sue Cronkite, write. There are links to some YouTube videos I've done. There's links to uh, radio interviews. And there are also links there to purchase the book. Amazon is one of them. And uh, that's where you can find me and learn more about me. My bio, Sue Cronkite's bio are there. Um, there's a short blurb about the book, et cetera. So that's probably your best spot to go. Excellent. We'll link to that in the show notes and 
make sure people know where they can buy your book. And I highly recommend it. I, I recommend it for people who have, um, had a stroke and are in recovery for family members, for professionals. I think it's a wonderful book and, and it's called just pick up the peg, a nurse's journey back from stroke. And I know that the title has some significance. Will you share a little bit about the significance of the title? Absolutely. It happened during an occupational session therapy session when we were trying to get my left hand working again. And my task was to pick up these pegs that were on the table. And there was a board in front of me, wooden board with holes drilled in it. And I was supposed to pick up a peg and I was supposed to put it in one of the holes. Well, of course, my hand wouldn't work. So I finally started talking to my hand and I looked at it and said, just, just pick up the peg. That's all you have to do. Just pick up the peg. And that's where the title came from. From picking up the peg to bodybuilder. I'm your story is incredibly inspirational. So thank you so much for sharing your physical journey and your emotional journey, the, the seen and the unseen. I so admire Angie's willingness to share about her emotional journey following stroke. If you are concerned about the mental health of a loved one following stroke or for any other reason, I have a free download just for you. It's called the Memory Loss and Mental Health Guide for Older Adults, and I'll link to it in the show notes. Also, if you or somebody you know is struggling with thoughts of suicide or harming yourself or in crisis, please call 1-800-273-8255. That's the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. Again, that's 1-800-273-8255. That's all for today. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. And if you do, I would love a subscription and a review. And the reason is that it helps people to find this show. All right. I'll see you next week. Same time, same place. Bye for now.